morning. How's everybody doing this morning? That didn't sound very good. Sound like a bunch of backslidden Presbyterians. Genesis. Uh, Pastor had asked me to uh, prepare a series of lessons, and uh, as I started thinking about this, something said in one of the messages that uh, Brother Tim was preaching or teaching for Sunday school actually got me onto this idea. Uh, the title of this series of lessons is Altars That Alter. One of the issues that we run into is that most of us, I I don't know about you guys, but when pastor says every head bowed and every eye closed, a lot of times I don't do that. I'll be honest about it. If you're saying that you do every time, uh, I'll probably call you out on it. But <laughs> we don't always do that. And I have noticed, and this is as much my fault as it is anybody else's, the altar is underutilized. And as I thought about this, what does the Bible have to say about the altar? There are... 378 different instances of the word altar being used in Scripture. So we're going to read our text this morning, and then we'll get more into this, and we'll see what God does. It's Genesis 22, just verse number 9. The Bible says, And they came to the place where God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We ask you this morning that your will would be accomplished. Help us each this morning to understand the need for altars in our life. And Father, we ask you, God, that thy will would be accomplished in every life that's represented here this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I I thought about this, Most of the 378 times that the word altar is used in Scripture, it is simply being used to describe what is being laid on it. Now, this particular verse that we just read, we could look at it that way if we want to. But the vast majority of times that the word altar is used, it's rather generic. There are no individuals, really, that are mentioned. There's a high priest, of course, that's making the offering, but he's usually by himself. And as I thought about this, how many different people in Scripture have an event that takes place at an altar? There are only about 13 or so that are mentioned in Scripture. And of course, we're not going to have time to look at all of them. We will look at approximately six of them. We'll see what God's going to do with this. So the word altar If you look at the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, it means a mount or table or elevated place on which sacrifices were anciently offered to some deity. I don't like that definition too much. The second definition really isn't much better. It's in modern churches, the communion table or figuratively a church or place of worship. Don't like that either. The problem is that altars are not what they were originally intended by God to be. Altars have become a place of scorn and contempt, a place where somebody comes to an altar at the end of a service, the pastor gives invitation, people come to the altar, and quite often, we've got this bad habit, if we do peek, we're like, oh, what did they go for? What do they have to get right? What what sin is in their life? It's not always about sin being in somebody's life, and 
that is part of what I want you to see in this series of lessons. This particular altar, I have entitled it an altar of faith. It's not just an altar of sacrifice, it's an altar of faith. When we look at this and the problem with altars in many churches, an altar is nothing more than a place where children play between services. In a great deal, a great number of churches, it's nothing more than a piece of furniture. That is not what it's intended to be. An altar for the purposes of these lessons is a place where a child of God comes to meet with God both in public and in private. We come publicly not out of a sense of show, but out of a sense of not wanting to hide the fact that we need to talk to God. But yet it's still in private because most of us, when we go, we don't, we don't speak out loud. We don't talk loud enough for those around us to hear. And that is not a bad thing. It can become a show and we don't want it to be that. When we look at this passage of scripture, the first question that came to my mind was why, why did Abraham need an altar of faith at this point in his life? As we go through this, I want you to understand where Abraham is. I'm not talking about current physical location in Scripture. I mean in his life. Abraham is referred to in Scripture as the father of faith. He is, that's Romans 4.11, he is the father of all them that believe. We know that Abraham is one of the greatest examples of a faithful man in Scripture. We look at his life and we see God living out his plan through Abraham's life. That is exactly what we should want from God. When we look at Abraham and we think about how, how he got where he is, he's already left Ur of the Chaldees. He's already left his family. He's already separated himself at this point in Scripture from, from his nephew. And here he is now at a place where God is putting him to what I would consider the ultimate test. You know, when Scripture says that God doesn't test people, that's not exactly the same type of test that we're looking at here. There are times in our life when God brings us to a place not to reveal to him what we'll do, but to reveal to us what we'll do. You see, our faith is already known to God. He knows all about us. He knows more about us than we could ever imagine. But sometimes we need it to be revealed to us. And as I thought about this, leading up to this, this is not the first altar that Abraham builds. It's not the first altar built in Scripture. The first altar built in Scripture is built by Moses. Genesis chapter 8, and ver or Noah, I mean, Genesis 8 and verse number 20 and the Bible says, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So we get the idea. We understand what they are. We know it's not the first. Abraham's first altar is actually mentioned in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. Verse 7 says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. 
Shechem or Sychem, as it's mentioned in this scripture, it, the name is later refined to Shechem. The, the word Shechem is an interesting place. Uh, the city of Shechem is an interesting place. It's a, a place of death and deceit in Genesis chapter 34. It's a city of refuge mentioned in Joshua chapter 20 verses 5 through 9. And it's a place of separation in Joshua chapter 24. At the end of Joshua's life, he, we read that famous statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But this all takes place at a city called Shechem. And it's a place where the children of Israel were encouraged to leave their idols. and They were to bury them there under a tree before they entered into the promised land. Shechem is an important place in Scripture, and it's not difficult to imagine why God would have Abraham build an altar there. The second altar that Abraham builds is in Genesis 12 and verse 8. And, they, and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the, on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. We know Bethel is referred to in Scripture as the house of God, a place where God's presence on earth was made known, Genesis chapter 28. And as we look at these places, sometimes we get really amazed at the number of, of altars that some of these men in the Old Testament built. But you know, there is an, an interesting fact, particularly here in the life of Abraham, that some of them are more important than others. Each of us in our Christian life, we have moments that we cannot forget. The moment that we gave our life to Jesus Christ, the moment that we made some big decision to follow God and do something that maybe would have been extraordinary beforehand. These are moments that, that in, my, in my mind, I look at as places of altars, a place where something major happened. Why do some of them hold more importance to us than others? It's not just you and I that do that. It's even in Scripture we see in Genesis chapter 13, verse number 3, the Bible says, And he went on his journey from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai. And verse number 4 says, Unto the place of the altar, where he had made there at, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Some, some altars are more important to us than others. Abram, for some reason chose the altar at Bethel to be the one that was most important to him. Why didn't he go back to Shechem? Why did he not go back to the very first altar that he built? Because it wasn't the most important one to him. You've got to realize that the names of places in Scripture are subject to change. And God often, as God allows Scripture to be revealed to us, it's interesting that you'll read of a place like Bethel in the Old Testament, particularly here in Genesis 13, and we see it called Bethel. But it's really not named Bethel until we get to much later, Genesis chapter 28. That's when it's really called the house of God. God changes the names of things in advance. It's interesting the way that God does that. Maybe Abram knew the need for this particular place. Maybe he knew the importance of this place. Maybe he couldn't really say what that was, but he recognized it. And he recognized that this was an important place in his life. My wife and I, we've had several of these points in our life, points where God changed our direction. And quite often they take place at an altar at the front of a church. 
And as we look at this this morning, I want us to consider from this point on what God still does in the life of Abraham. At Genesis chapter 13, the middle part of Genesis 13, we see his separation from Lot. It's not until, and this is, this is kind of interesting in Scripture, it's not until Abram or Abraham gets away from Lot that God really begins to reveal his plan to him. You see, up until this point, Abraham, he has believed, he has followed by faith, but he has not completely obeyed. You know, that may be a controversial point to some, but Abraham disobeyed God to a certain extent by taking Lot with him. God told him to leave his family, period. He didn't say take somebody with you. And it's not until we see that the separation between Lot and Abraham takes place that God re really begins to reveal his plan to, to Abraham and show him what he wants. This is not the last altar that Abraham will build. We know there's the one in 22, but there's also one in the latter part of Genesis 13, verse number 18. The Bible says, Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is Hebron, and built there an altar. So far, we've had Shechem, we've had Bethel as important places in Scripture. What about Hebron? We look at Hebron, it's a place of burial in Genesis chapter 23. It's the inheritance of Caleb in Joshua chapter 14. And in Joshua chapter 20, it's also a city of refuge. Why are these altars being built in such important places? Because God's got a plan for these places. God wants to understand, wants us to understand this morning that the, place, the places that God would have us to erect altars in our life are important places. The altar of faith isn't just at the moment of salvation. The altar of faith can take place at any point in our life. There are many of us that we gave our heart and life to Jesus Christ as a child. Now, I can't hold my hand up as being one of those because I didn't get saved until I was over 30 years old. But I know that on average, most Christians are saved as a youth, usually under 15 years of age from what I understand. You know something, but they're often, often in the life of a child of God that gets saved at an early age, there's a moment somewhere later in life when suddenly they have this massive change in their life. They suddenly realize how important God is. And their whole life from that point on changes. This is what we find this morning in our text. We find Genesis 22.9, they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abram, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the, altar, on the altar upon the wood. Why at this point in Scripture? Do you realize that at this point in Scripture, at this point in Abraham's life, Abraham is approximately 130 years old. Abraham lives, if I remember correctly, to 175. His life is almost done. You know, I look around the room this morning and I understand that I'm teaching the adult Sunday school class. Most of us in the room this morning either have no hair like myself or our hair has turned a different color than what it was in our youth. It's either turning colors or turning, out, turning loose, one or the other. But you know something? Even at this point in our life, God still has a plan for us. God still has a use for us. 
Don't think it's something strange at this point in Abraham's life to find this moment to have an altar built. Maybe, maybe the most important altar that Abraham ever built. Yes, the others were in wonderful places, scripturally speaking. But what takes place here changes not just his life, but the life of Isaac as well. And that's what we need to remember this morning. The altars in your life are not there just for you. When I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ, it didn't change just me. I'm thankful this morning that it did. I know, I know in my heart this morning that if I had not accepted Christ when I did, I would be burning in hell this morning. I know that. I know it in my heart. But it didn't change just my life. It changed my family. It changed my, my son's life. It gave him an opportunity that prior to that he never would have had. I had no desire for the things of God. But at that moment, it changed my son's life. He didn't accept Christ the same day I did. He was just a baby. He was just five or six years old, maybe. I don't remember exactly how old he was. Maybe 10 at tops. But, you know, this morning we've got to understand that these altars are not just about us. They're not just about the primary character involved in this. In Abraham's life, what does he have left? He's got the death of Sarah at approximately 127 years old, Abraham's age. That's in Genesis 23, verse 1. In Genesis 24, we see the choosing of a bride for Isaac. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I am glad my mother did not choose my bride. It would not have been good. <laughs> my mom still does not like my wife, and that's my mom's problem. I don't really care. God put us together, and I'm thankful for that. But in Genesis 24, he chooses a bride for Isaac. In Genesis 25, Abraham does something that, honestly, I don't know if I would have done. He chose a new bride for himself. That's in 25.1. In 25.7 and 8, we see the death of Abraham at 175 years old. It doesn't have a lot of years left, only about 45 years or so from this moment. What was that? But listen, what about the life of Isaac? I have often wondered at human portrayal of biblical passages. I don't agree with 99% of them, to be quite honest with you. You draw a Jesus that's a hippie, I'm going to yell at you. I'll tell you that right now. That's just not it. That, that's not it at all. Our idea of the things that took place in Scripture are not what they really are. We see teen groups, we see youth groups that use coloring pages and that kind of thing. And I'm not against them, understand. But they're not always accurate. In my opinion, and based on my study of Scripture, I don't believe Isaac would have been a teen at this point in his life. It is my opinion that, Abraham, that Isaac could have been somewhere around 30 years old. I was curious, and I was asking Pastor this one evening after service if he had any idea, and I had already done some research on it. When we read this passage of Scripture, we read verse number 6, back up just a little bit, and the Bible says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, 
And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went, both of them, together. They took the wood for the offering and carried it up a mountain, okay? I don't know too many teenagers that can do that, or preteens. How much wood, and this is not a riddle, how much wood would it have taken to offer a burnt sacrifice? <laughs> Whatever you do, do not Google how much wood does it take to burn a human body. The cops are coming for you. I'll tell you that right now. That's not good. You can, you can easily Google how much would it take to burn a sheep or a lamb, though. That, uh, that'll be okay. You might get by with that. And based on what I was able to find, they say that it takes about 60 pounds of wood. I, I was raised on a farm, and I carried 50-pound bags of animal feed all the time. But I struggled with it as a teen. It wasn't until I got a little bit older that it wasn't such a big burden for me. If you'd asked me to carry a 50-pound bag of dog food up a mountain, I'd have probably kicked you in the leg and said, you carry it. That just wasn't going to happen. This teen boy just doesn't make sense. So if Isaac was about 30 years old, and we're going to assume that he was, what does he have left? Isaac dies at the age of 180 180 years. So it's 150 years from this moment that he still has to live. If you're in this room this morning and you've got grandchildren or great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren, praise God that you've got the opportunity because right now you get a chance to allow the altars in your life to affect them. Many times our children might not always do what we want them to do. They might not raise their kids the way that we want them to. My son, he and his wife, they can't have kids. We won't know what that's like. That's why we spoil everybody else's grandkids. We'll adopt your grandkids in a heartbeat. We ain't taking them home. We ain't feeding them, but I'll adopt them. I'll spoil them. But what does, what does Isaac have left in his life? In chapter 23, verse number 1, the loss of his mother Isaac would have been about 36 years old, give or take. Chapter 24, we talked about it a few minutes ago. He has a bride given to him. I don't know about you guys, but marrying my wife was a life-changing event. All of a sudden, you got two sinful people living in the same house. At first, it is not pleasant. There are some things that you just got to work out. That's all there is to it. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. We're adults here, okay? We, we understand if we look back at our marriage, there were some struggles in the first few years. Abram and Isaac here has a bride thrust upon him somewhere around the 36 or 38-year-old age, somewhere in that neighborhood. Genesis 25, verses 7 and 8, the loss of his father, the death of his father. At this point in Scripture, Isaac would have been about 74 years old, give or take. Dad was 175, so we can figure that out. Genesis 25, verse number 9, is an interesting verse, and it's one that you can easily look over. In chapter 25, verse number 9, we see the post-funeral meeting, if you will, between Isaac and Ishmael. I've wondered, is this the first time they ever met? Remember, 
When Ishmael was about 12 or 13 years old, he would have been kicked out of the camp and sent his separate way. He's about 13 years older than Isaac is. That could have been the first time they met. Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 28, we see the, ver the birth of twin sons, Esau and Jacob. I couldn't imagine having more than one child. I sure would not want my son to be a twin. I'd have been bald years ago. I'd have pulled it out. I love my son. I love him very much. But having two of him, that's just not an option. And we know the turmoil that these two boys bring. We read about it in many verses in that passage of Scripture. The arguing between them, the selling of a birthright. We read all of that. Chapter 26 and verse number 7 we see an event in Isaac's life that maybe we didn't really expect. We see a famine that takes place. But in this particular passage of Scripture, we also see that Isaac learned the worst lessons from his father as well as the best. He learned how to be a man of faith from his dad. He learned how to follow God from his dad. But he also learned the very worst lessons that Abraham could have taught him. How to lie to a king and tell him that your wife is your cousin or sister. That's just messed up, to be quite honest with you. And what's really bad about it is if you read it, it's the same guy that gets lied to. I don't know about you, but I'd have been a little gun shy if I was him. You're related to... Oh, no, no, you go. I, I don't know if I'd have wanted him in town, to be quite honest. Genesis chapter 26, verse number 18. We see Isaac redigging the wells that his father dug. Maybe this is revival in the life of Isaac. You say, Tom, you're supposed to be talking about Abraham. Abraham's faith is as important in the life of Isaac as it was in his own. The example that we set for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren should never get missed. They need to understand who we are and what we believe. They need to understand how much we love God. We go on in Isaac's life and we see in chapter 26, verse 19 through 33, we see the digging of new wells. Isaac's got a lot to do. He is given some great opportunities in Scripture. In chapter 26 and verse number 34, we see the rebellion of Esau and his choosing of a bride. Mom and dad weren't happy about this when he decided to marry outside of the uh, Israelite family, if you will. Ishmael, yes, may be related to Abraham, but that was not what they wanted. Chapter 27, we see the deception by Jacob. Chapter 27 and verse number 46 is an interesting verse as well, because in this passage of Scripture, it's the very last time that Rebekah is mentioned. Does that mean that somewhere in this passage of Scripture that Rebecca died? It is my assumption that that is what happened. Why else would she not be mentioned? I could not imagine my life without my wife. I could not imagine what it would be like to be on my own again after all these years. And you know something? I don't think he did either. It's a major change in your life. And without faith, it's impossible to navigate that. 
Here's the, here's the thing that we need to understand, that if we don't have an altar of faith in our life, we have two choices when a major event takes place, and it's the same regardless of the event. We have two choices. We either draw closer to God or we draw away from Him. Those are the only two options. And without an altar of faith in our life, we will almost always choose the physical side of things and choose to draw away. I have seen it in the life of my loved ones. My mother, I remember when my brother died, I was in the Navy. I was overseas and my brother was electrocuted under the house that my mom and, and stepdad were living in at the time. I flew from Rome to New York, New York to West Virginia so that I could be there for the funeral. And I saw something take place in my mom's life that I had never really expected to see. I saw her draw away from God and blame him for what happened. The problem was she didn't have a strong altar of faith in her life. If my mom hears this, she will understand. She knows, she knows the truth now. She knows Christ is her Savior. And I'm thankful for that this morning. But at that point in her life, she had nothing to anchor her to God because she had no altar of faith. We look at the remainder of Isaac's life. We see in chapter 28 the instructions for the choosing of a bride for Jacob. And in chapter 35, verse number 29, we see the death of Isaac at 180 years old. 150 years Isaac walks with God because of an altar of faith. Because his dad set an example for him to obey God even in the difficult things. Even when Abraham didn't know how it was going to work out, he still obeyed God. You and I this morning, we've got it relatively easy. I don't know of a single one of us that God has said, Hey, I want you to, I want you to drive to Canada and sacrifice your kid. No, I don't think that's going to happen. But you know something? We need these moments in our life. We need these altars. They're not always just about you. I would encourage you this morning to consider that when you are going through something and you have a major change in your life, consider your reaction and its repercussions on your family before you make your decision known. Your importance, your decisions are important to your loved ones. Bill can make a decision over here this morning that would impact both his son and his grandson. I use you as an example because you're sitting right there by each other. But you see, every choice that we make has an impact. And Bill, I'm going to use you as an example again. I love you, brother. Bill came here first, and apparently he found something that he liked because he managed to twist his son's arm and brought him here. And then Will apparently found something that he liked, and he twisted his son's arm and says, come on, let's go. And now we got the three of them sitting there like the three amigos. I like it. Amen. That's what it's about. Altars of faith, moments when things change. A little over a year ago, Bill and I and my wife, we went through some stuff that many of you may not understand completely, but we went through a major change in our life, and it brought us here. Every change is important. Every altar of faith is important in our life, and you can have more than one. 
Do you have an altar of faith in your life this morning? Do you have a moment in your life when something changed and drew you so close to God that it affected not just you, but your entire family? Do you have a moment in your life when you made a decision and it drastically changed the course of your life? I do. I've got several of them. And I'm thankful for each one of them. Did I like it when they were taking, taking place? Not exactly. I'm no different than you are. I'm, I'm kicking and struggling and screaming sometimes too. But they're good to have. These are places where our faith is tested and grown. And it doesn't always make sense to us why they happen when they happen. But it makes a lot of sense to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. And I would invite you, before we even start the invitation, to use the altar. We've got five more altars to look at. And I will give you the rest of them toward the end of the series. That way, if anybody wants to look at them, you're welcome to. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the life of Abraham and Isaac. And Lord, I ask you, God, that you would just teach us, we pray, to, Lord, follow you. Lord, help us to be obedient. Teach us to recognize the altars of faith in our life. And Lord, I ask you, God, that you would just work in this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor? So we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The piano's playing. Maybe in your life, you're looking back and you say, boy, I've got an altar there. And I've got an altar there. And I've got an altar there. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and offer a prayer of thanksgiving to God in your life and thank Him for what He's done for you. Maybe you're at a place where you're going through a trial and you're going through a hardship and He is saying, hey, you need to make a decision in your life. The altar's open. Won't you come? Make use of the altar. The piano's playing. These have come. The altar is an important place in our life.